0: The following episode of the 9pm edict isn't...
1: No, it's not. This is another episode of Vertical Hold, behind the tech news. Uh, that uh, podcast describes itself as one which, quote, dives into the big stories of the week, joined by Australia's leading tech journalists, every Friday co-hosts Adam Turner and Alex Kidman, channel surf through the headlines in search of the big picture. Well, hello, I'm still and uh, you knew that, and this week uh, I was that, uh, or one of those uh, alleged leading technical uh, tech j- technical. Te- I can't see. I'm good. I'm fabulous on podcasts. Leading tech journalists. Uh, what did we speak about? Well, uh, I'll explain in a minute. But before we start, uh, some quick housekeeping. We finally did the public house forum seven recording. Uh, that's you know online. You've probably listened to it already. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, public house forum eight, though, which I owe you as part of that whole crowdfunding thing. I will have to push that back a couple of weeks because I have a, a huge amount of client work to do before the end of May. There is a, a deadline, so I'm now looking at probably Saturday the 10th of June, which I know is also World Gin Day, and also the King's birthday, long weekend in most states of Australia. It sounds so weird saying that, doesn't it, after it being the Queen's birthday for so, so long. But it is the King's birthday, uh, on, well, on the Monday of that weekend, uh, but I'm looking at the 10th of June, for the podcast recording, maybe a week later on the 17th. I'll let let you know very, very soon once I've spoken with some potential guests. Uh, Meanwhile, this episode of Vertical Hold was posted on Friday the 12th of May 2023. Please enjoy it, despite the fact that I keep pronouncing the name of Blue Skies CEO, uh, Jay Graber, as Jay Gruber. Uh, She is Jay Graber, and I am an idiot.
0: Is Google's Pixel
2: 7a a winner? And how is Australia's federal budget fighting cybercrime? And are blue skies already turning grey over at Blue Sky?
0: Hey there, welcome back to Vertical Hold Behind the Tech News. The award-winning tech podcast, where we catch up with Australia's leading technology journalists and commentators to dive into the big tech news of the week. I'm Adam Turner, and I'm joined as usual by Alex Gibbon, a man who is 68 millionth in line for the throne.
2: Now, Alex, if you get the call up, what would be your first decree as king? Look, you put me in a difficult position here, Adam, because a very, very large part of King Alex wants to abolish the monarchy entirely. I think it's entirely archaic. But if we do have to have a king, (laughs) and a lot of people think we do, then I want to return to good old-fashioned king values and be completely insane about it, declare a cassowary to be Prime Minister of Australia, have all people who produce eggplant beheaded within the first week of my reign. Basically, I'm not looking to be king for a very long time. I'm looking to give people really clear reasons to abolish the monarchy. Ah, right, so not king for a long time, but a good time. Absolutely.
0: We're also joined once again by the one and only Stilgarian. Still, what would be your first degree decree upon taking the throne? I would
1: ban avocado, the devil's slime
0: fruit. Ooh, controversial, controversial. It's
1: horrible. I love it. it is. It is just slightly condensed mucus.
0: Whilst we think about which foodstuffs will survive (laughs) the revolution, still's here because the Australian federal budget has dropped and it's getting tough on cybercrime. Oh, yes. There's a few things threatening to rain on Blue Skies Parade. And then we'll come to grips with the new Pixel 7a smartphone. But first, still the budget. Many things went down. What caught your eye from a tech perspective?
1: Well, uh, there's an awful lot of online safety stuff. We have uh, online safety. We have cybersecurity. We have a lot of stuff going in there. And what I found interesting is that there's a lot of money being spent because clearly because of the Optus data breach last year. Mm. Um, There was a lot of announcements made. We need some things happening there. What's confusing me, though, is that there are now – going to be so many agencies involved with fighting scams and the cybers, particularly the Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, I call it. They'll get cranky if you call it that. They want to say (laughs) they are the ACMA. Get over it, people. But they will now have regulatory power to somehow prevent scams online so scams and misinformation and disinformation or well, misinformation's content but scams are now content
0: which is intriguing uh, depending be- on yeah depending on where you get your content from that may have been true for a very long time, <laughs> <A> long time. <laughs> this is
1: the same old problem of treating the internet as if it's broadcast television now, if someone on yeah. TV runs a program that's a scam, all right, that's misleading content. You get them under the Broadcasting Services Act or the pay TV equivalent and all of that. But this is this is content, and that we already have plenty of people dealing with scams. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, they run Scam Watch. They treat scams as ripping off consumers. The... Australian Securities and Investment Commission, which is about how you run companies and shares and things like that, they have their own way of dealing with scams because it's a crime. The federal police chase scams because it's a crime. The state police forces uh, chase crimes, and then you also have the Australian Cyber Security Centre dealing with the cybers more generally. You have their report cyber program to report cyber crime so we have an awful lot of people doing a lot of overlap and we saw some um, some numbers come out of the uh, Australian um, uh, Institute of uh, criminology just in the last few days pointing out that most of the reports of cyber crime and other such things to uh, the ACSC one and others and on to yet another report the cybers. Most of them aren't followed up by the police because like,
2: the police have got a lot of things to do. Um, well, I, I, uh, I would have thought the, uh, the other classic problem here is if I were a scammer, I'd have to be pretty dumb to be operating out of Australia where I would presume most of these forces would have the strongest regulatory powers.
1: Well, that's Isn't right. Isn't kind we, of... We do have the power, or the I should say the federal police have the power. I don't, I don't have the power, and I don't think you do either, um, to coordinate with police forces in other nations. But the whole deal about uh, MLAT, the Mutual Legal Assistant Treaties that we have with various countries, the convention is that whatever you're trying to chase up has to be a crime in both countries.
0: Yeah, so which makes sense.
1: If, so if if the special branch of the Royal Thai Police Force comes to the Australian Federal Police and says, oi, that person in Sydney said nasty things about the king, the Australian <laughs> Federal Police will say, <laughs> so good what? Good luck to him. Good, good luck. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Fr- we have free speech here. Um, so it seems to me there's a lot of duplication. And although... One approach is, well, if you have lots of different ways of attacking the problem, then maybe one of them will stick. But it does feel a little bit like throwing mud at the wall.
0: So has this budget done anything to actually improve this situation? Has it just spread the money even further or has it sort of consolidated things Has it put one organisation in charge?
1: We will have a coordinating kind of thing to deal with scams. And, uh, you know, I can't even be bothered looking up what it's called now. Is it the National Anti-Scam Centre? Yeah, that'd be it. So, So what's that going to do (laughs) that the ACCC is already doing or that the Australian Federal Police cybercrime people aren't already doing? And the answer is, it'll be more bureaucrats sitting on top of all them
2: writing reports. Yeah, it, 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 this uh-huh. this isn't so going to be employment more, figures in Canberra.
1: Hmm. Oh, you know, it's a struggling city, and you know the public servants, you know, have had a lot of you know job cuts over the years. So maybe maybe that's what they need. I don't know. If only Koshy was alive to see all this. I'm sure he could help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look that one up yourselves, kids. Uh, that's 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 true. Um, I, this is also framed in terms of it being. Um, Online safety, so the eSafety Commission is going to get a bit of money out of this. Uh, Everyone gets a little bit of money um, for for more, or fewer rather, scams and spans coming from the portal. That's that's an historical reference for those of you who might appreciate
2: (laughs) it. We've been around for long enough, yeah. Um, (laughs) There's also funding, speaking of funding, because this is all about the budget, for small business. Um, security, and easily my favourite term to come out of this budget, the cyber warden, which sounds like a Doctor Who villain giving the TARDIS a speeding ticket. Still, what's a small business cyber warden? uh, Look, there,
1: there, there has been a pilot program, a small business cyber warden, and I can see where they're kind of going with this. The idea is that small business can't afford to have a dedicated cybersecurity person. Fair point. They probably don't even have a dedicated IT person these days because everything's up in the cloud. But what you will have is a nominated and trained somehow cyber warden, which will work like you have your fire warden, or you have your occupational health and safety nominated person, or like a pub will have uh, an RSA marshal to just keep an eye on the rules and and things in that. So the idea is you will have uh, a cyber warden, and the cyber warden will be a bit like you know the blackboard monitor at school. They'll they'll make sure that you you know you're doing all of your software updates, and if you are worried whether you should click on a link, you ask them to have a look at it for you. Um, and I assume that if there is a cyber that they sound an alarm of some kind, put on a, Ooh, a yellow yep. plastic hat and go to the <laughs> and intercom, uh, and then evacuate everyone calmly from the internet. And you gather in the <laughs> car park. What would be the car park here?
2: Um, you go via the AOL, and get some AOL, things.
1: I suppose, or uh, CompuServe, maybe I, would have, maybe. I would have thought you'd have
2: to gather in the underground car park where the Wi-Fi signal can't reach.
1: Ah. So I the like internet this. can't get you. And and what you need is is not a hacker hoodie, hackerihupari in in Finnish, because they have a word for it. Um, but you need one of those hoodies that like scaffolders and painters wear up top of tall buildings. Nice thick orange high viz hoodie with cyber warden written across the back.
2: And a foil lining, so you are your own yes. paraday cage? Ah, now we're thinking. Yeah.
1: The hoodie lined with (laughs) tinfoil.
0: You mentioned earlier that they're not just talking about scams, they're also talking about misinformation and disinformation. That sounds to me like we're talking about certain foreign governments more than certain scammers.
1: Well, you would think so, but it's it's more about the major platforms uh, redistributing this stuff. So... Now that um, we we have to, I mean, we're going to end up mentioning Twi- mentioning uh, Twitter at some point anyway. So let's mention it now. Given that Twitter has essentially got rid of ninety percent of its trust and safety people and all of its staff in Australia, the question is now: um, who does the government talk to? Who does the eSafety Commissioner talk to, or or the ACMA talk to, to get rid of misinformation online? And so. This will more be a regulatory thing to get some laws through and some money for public servants and lawyers to uh, give Twitter and Meta and uh, TikTok and all the others a slap over the wrist with the limp lettuce to say, naughty, naughty, uh, you are telling people to huff ivermectin again. Uh, and that's, that's not on. So... We'll see what happens.
0: I noticed that they were talking about, uh, there was a lot of things that got a lot of money thrown at them, some things that have been around for a while. They're they're talking Mm -hmm. about the next stage of the digital ID program. Where are we up to with digital ID at the moment, and what does the next stage look like?
1: Well, we currently have the uh, federal government talking to the state governments, uh, there's an agreement, certainly, between the federal government and New South Wales to make their stuff interoperable, uh, and Victoria is going to start coming in. Really, we're at the initial stage of working out what the next stage will look like. So this is this is actually kind of a uh, you know if you have opinions about this, this is a really good time to make them known to your local MP uh, or for uh, ID companies and biometric companies to insist that the whole thing happens uh, and they get paid boatloads of money. Um, there's talk of it being some sort of digital ID in a wallet and there will be a, like a, a MyGov wallet and that's the federal one, but if you have the New South Wales government wallet in the services NSW app, you can put you know, your IDs in either uh, and so on and so forth. It's, it's at the kind of initial stages. Um, I have a slight conflict of interest here because I'm doing some consulting for some people who reckon that that's not quite enough, that you can hold up your digital ID, show it on your phone to someone, and they can use their app to scan it, and you both agree that that's all happening. But how does that then work online in all circumstances where the other human isn't there, and so on? Um, that's that's the point we're at. We're working out how that will work.
0: So just to, to clarify, when they talk about the digital ID program, they're not talking about a digital ID, a specific thing like an Australia card or a Medicare number, or whatever. They're uh, talking well, about a program. I don't know what's well, the maybe, difference. Yeah. Well, but it sounds like what they mean by a digital ID program is the infrastructure that, like wallets that let you store digital IDs trustworthy tr- in a trusting way from different people rather than issuing everyone with a specific thing called a digital ID is that that's how I it. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 the idea
1: yeah. is that you know you you won't have to gather up all these different things like for for example you do that at the moment to get a login to MyGov.com to log into Centrelink or the Australian uh, Taxation Office. But then MyGov ID is a separate thing again. That one's out of the tax office, actually, because MyGov's out of Services Australia, and they don't work quite the same way. Uh, And then if you say, well, I actually have a a Western Australian driver's licence, why can't I use that with Centrelink? Why can't I use this with that? Why do I have to keep telling the bank these other things? So it, it is a unified way of dealing with government IDs, the government does services.
0: This what, does this have the potential? Because one of the big problems with things like the Optus hack is people were showing them you know, their Medicare card, their driver's license, their passport, whatever, and then they were just keeping copies of it forever, and the same with Latitude and the others. Does this lay the groundwork for when someone says, show me 100 points of ID, I can point them to this thing. They can see my driver's license, my passport. They can tick the box, but they don't get to keep a copy.
1: Well, that's one of the big questions that's actually being worked out as we speak. You've got the problem there. It doesn't really matter if I've got a digital version of my existing IDs. If the people verifying stuff, is us keeping copies of it, then we haven't gained anything. Yeah. Um, the idea is, that's right, you have some sort of cryptographic cleverness that's, that when you check online, you say, okay, this is the ID that the punter has shown to the system, and the system then says back, yes, that's correct, and here's a nice cryptographic thing that you can store, which records the fact that we check this ID for you at this time in this way, and that number is no use because it's just an index back into our logs to say yeah. that this thing happened legitimately.
2: So this is sort of mirroring the way that, and I was talking about this on the last week's show, mirroring the the whole passkeys approach in a way, a kind of yeah. half and half without everything, you can't do anything
1: approach. That's right, and we've got similar systems already in say things like apple pay where the (laughs) vendor gets a code that says yes this was legitimately charged to this person against your record number at this time and the money is all going to flow but the vendor the shopkeeper doesn't know your credit card number never sees it so the same sort of thing so long
0: if if we've always known that handing out your credit card is not such a good idea, so we'll use this in-between um, safety offer, whatever you want to call it. Why is it such a big deal? to have to introduce it to other things as well?
1: I mean, you're right. It is surprising given that the federal government, particularly in Australia, is so excellent at doing things with computers. <laughs> <laughs> it also comes down to, you know, who's going to run it? Like, we've only just in the last few months... The, the federal government and the New South Wales government to agree to work together.
2: Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say I would have thought the other big problem is that we have lots of state and territory governments that all have to have their own either slice of the pie or interest or position or potentially bureaucrats of their own, different systems. It 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 gets kind of complicated.
1: Yeah, and if the federal government announces something, well that's not a Victorian state government announceable. That's not something mm. you that the Victorian <laughs> government can you know, point to before their next election, uh, and the same for all the other states. Now, it is easier now that all of the governments in Australia, except Tasmania, are Labor governments for the time being, because it's a bit easier for them to agree on doing stuff without quite as much point scoring. But because nobody within a, a
2: political party ever argued with each other.
1: No. no. Yeah, oh, yeah, I see your point. Um <laughs> <laughs> And look, there are, there are, uh, you know, differences of opinion. Uh, there are organisations within the government that would like to have the ability to track all of these transactions to fight the cyber criminals. Uh, and there are other people, you know, who say, "Mate, hey, privacy, no, we don't want all that logged. So that's uh, another angle to it as well, which raises the other point, you know, how much input will... Uh, privacy advocates and other human rights types and other civil society organizations have in designing this architecture and that's that's not sure yet what i do find very interesting though is that all of the new money to work on this another 10 million dollars odd next year to keep going with this nearly all of it went to the department of finance rather than the much loved digital Trans- uh, digital transformation authority now that that is a signal that department of finance is very much in charge of this rather than that that broad funnel to consulting firms at the dta where money just flows out and you're never quite sure whether you're going to get value for money back in. Uh, It also indicates that uh, because finance is therefore more connected with the Australian Taxation Office and others, they are uh, generally much better at computering than Services Australia. So that, that to me, is a very good sign about what the next steps might be.
2: So we've talked about the things that were in the budget, um, but clearly, aside from obviously the much-needed funds for the elimination of eggplant and possibly avocados, what was not in the budget from a tech sense that you would have liked to see still?
1: I think what I'd like to see is less emphasis on the internet being totally evil and a thing we need to protect people from, and a bit more emphasis on how cool it is about the fact that we have the entire sum of all human knowledge. Uh, plus Nazis at our fingertips, and how we might build this for a future. There wasn't really much more funding for STEM education, although though STEM's mm. not this, you know, education's not magical. All of the the kind of funding for education and building for the future is is relatively uh, defense specific, submarines, ah, uh, nuclear energy, and um job-specific and industry-specific. So we're seeing some stuff, you know, for the the hydrogen economy and developing some things like the space and so on. But all that's relatively small. We have seen 100 million-odd uh, thrown in the general direction of startups, but we still have this idea that startups are some kind of magical solution to everything, uh, whereas quite frankly most stuff is just, people plodding along and that's where the real growth comes from rather than the, the roll roll the dice and hope that again this random little company is suddenly worth billions of dollars if 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 i hear one more politician talk about atlassian and canva <laughs> i think i'll throw myself off my off my chair content warning uh, I, I
2: will be extremely upset enjoying the show that's great Don't forget to subscribe, which you can do on every podcast platform you've ever heard of. Just search for Vertical Hold or go to our website, verticalhold.com.au, where we've got handy buttons for every single podcast platform. Well, speaking of startup companies, and before you throw yourself out of your chair, (laughs) we were also talking last week about Blue Sky, the much-hyped new Twitter alternative from, well, the people who bought you Twitter, basically. <laughs> um, but it's not really all blue skies over there once you dig beneath the code, is it? No.
1: Look, last week, uh, you guys and Zach had, uh, you know, really quite a good rundown of what, what's been happening. But between then and now, it's got more mainstream media coverage. People have started looking at how it works and having a bit of a poke around. and And that's where you suddenly get... Oh, oh, man! Yeah, maybe it's not so good now. I, I, I think one thing to to mention is that it still has, I think, less than a hundred thousand users. It was sixty five thousand the other day. Sixty,
2: yeah, sixty five thousand is the figure I've seen in a couple of places. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Very small beads. and one point eight million on the the waiting list to get an invite. So I, it's a nightclub. Did Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all of that. <laughs> well, it's a nightclub except it's still scaffolding and the you know, the painters are still coming through and it'd be nice if the Sparky's finished wiring up the, the the sound system. Uh because I think they've gone to this I mean, all right, they, they say it's a you know, it's beta, it's a public beta thing. But to have a social network without any means of blocking other users is You know, it's a bit like building a car without brakes. Um, What could possibly go wrong? Well, I think a lot can go wrong, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Version two. The thing is they're making the same problem that so many social networks make is that they, two years ago when they installed her as CEO, Jay Gruber, she's, she's a programmer, she's a developer. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a developer, but you, you know, you're know you not just writing a, a fancy database. You're writing a media platform. You can call it social media or social networking. It's messaging. It's all about the content. It's all about what happens. I mean, I, w- I won't say that shunting around all these packets of data instantly amongst potentially Hundreds of millions of users. When it gets to that point, if it gets to that point, I'm not saying that's easy. Of course not. It's really, really hard. But someone like Elon Musk goes, "Oh, that's just engineering. That's just software." Um, Jay Gruber uh, probably much probably much the same. She's bringing a programmer's mindset to it. So the idea of you know how you deal with content moderation, well, that's just a software problem. How you deal with, with everything else is a software problem. And we've, we've seen some of the, uh, uh, the the kind of moderation process become visible. They've got hold of some of the uh, of the code up there on GitHub, or do we say GitHub? Um, and all of the content is being shoved out to a third-party service called the Hive.ai which then classifies it and sends it back with a whole lot of tags. So the tags are, um, you know, yes, female nudity or yes, male nudity or yes, sexual activity. And you can say, well, that's it. They're things you look at words or you look at the pictures and that's a thing that AI can do to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, Human corpse comes back, but then it comes back flagging, is it a Nazi? Is it the Ku Klux Klan? Is it a Confederate flag on the, uh, the thing and things like that? And we don't know exactly how they do this classification, although if it's got a swastika on it. It's pretty obvious. And we don't know necessarily what uh, Blue Sky is doing with this. But what we have seen is that you can filter by these labels. So your content moderation is, oh, explicit sexual images, I can choose between show, warn, or hide. Other nudity, same. Spam, same. Although why you'd want to see all the spam, I don't know, maybe you do. Political hate groups, show, warn, or hide. So again, the fact that a political hate group is organizing on your site is just seen as a a matter of taste.
0: So it's not a question of maybe we don't want Nazis here. It's just let's classify them as Nazis and move on. Put them in the Nazi yeah.
2: box. Yeah, put them in the Nazi box. It strikes me, though, that all of this tagging also potentially allows Blue Sky to then say, well, you know, if this user is is consistently posting nudes, posting objectionable material, posting something that might be flagged, that's building a profile on them as well. I mean, that's got value to advertisers, doesn't it? Uh, you, you, I mean, yeah, just, only if you're selling uh, course, good know, heavens, pornography good or heavens. Nazi memorabilia,
1: but <laughs> And and remember, all of your content is being sent off to this proprietary third party service, the hive.ai, for them to analyze and train their AI. And that is and like, who knows
0: what else they're doing with it.
1: Well, they're selling that model they're selling that service to other people as well, right? Hmm. Um, you know, corporate clients want to know whether their staff are organizing unions for example uh, i'm sure that would never happen um i mean what what is happening here and again your content your content your communication your private stuff all right it's public comments but it's in that gray zone between publishing it in a newspaper or putting it on television and a private Conversation with a friend on in on on a park bench. There is this gray zone, but there's assumption. There's this assumption in the social networking world that that this is now public and you can do what you like with it. You can mine it for data. You can do it to sell ads. Now, at one level, looking more broadly at this, people say, "Oh, it's about targeted ads." I started talking about BMWs and Toyotas, so I'm now going to see. Ads for a new car. I say, what's the harm in that? The answer is not a lot. On the other hand, if a change is detected uh, in what you're talking about, you start talking about alcohol more than you used to. You start complaining about backaches. Your insurance company would love to know about that. Mm. Um, It's it's stuff even that that they can get from. uh, your shopping habits, your your loyalty card in a supermarket. If if someone who does the household shopping uh, and shifts from buying premium steak and top-shelf brand your washing powder and all of that uh, and suddenly goes to utility-grade beef and instant coffee, it's like, well, maybe maybe your home loan provider would like that information.
2: I'm reminded there was an infamous case in the US out of Target, I think it was, where they started pitching disposable nappies at a teenager uh, who hadn't, shall we say, told the parents that uh, there's a possibility that she might be pregnant, but uh, Target could work it out kind of by derivation.
1: Absolutely. Um, You can tell uh, when a woman is pregnant from the change in her shopping list that scented body lotion becomes un-scented, certain vitamins might blip up. Uh, any 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 of you listening who you know are a parent will know how this works. Well, they well, in still, when a man and a woman <laughs>
2: love each other very much. Yeah, <laughs> I would have thought podcast. you'd know this by now, but <laughs> oh,
1: it's you know it's not it's not you know broadly my department. But um, <laughs> sure, in 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 her weekly emails of you know what was on special this week, she started getting. You know, disposable nappies hmm. and baby lotion and all all of those things. And her father quite rightly kicked off because she was young. Hmm. He then had to apologise to Target uh, because, as he said, there were there were there were uh, events and facts in in my household that I wasn't fully aware of. So now Target hasn't stopped doing that. They just used that, was, that was years ago, and that's oh, not, that's not a decade,
2: new story. It's more, than a yeah. Ago, yeah. more than a decade ago. more um, than a decade ago.
1: Uh, but they, they now, you know, do chaff. They don't make it quite so latent that that's a thing. Um, but, but certainly I've, I've noticed, uh, you know, in some of the emails I get from supermarkets, it's clear that they've collated information from one place with information in another place. Um, and we already have, like, one of my favorite examples, and this came up uh, back in 2018, Uh, journalist Ben Grubb uncovered this one. Mm. Uh, One of the big car manufacturers was targeting people whose phones had been near a dealership or the other manufacturer for more than 10 minutes, say, and less than forever. Um, So if, if you're going to a car dealership and it's only 10 minutes, you might be picking up someone from work, you might be a courier dropping something off. If you're there for half an hour, you're probably looking at cars. If you're looking at cars, you're probably thinking of buying one. And if you're thinking of buying brand A, then brand B would like to show you some ads saying why, why brand B is better and will save you 5000 bucks. Now, that's a, a thing that was happening in Australia five years ago. This is, this is
2: standard technology now. So what you're saying is that after this podcast, you're probably not going to get quite so much avocado advertising.
0: I certainly hope so. <laughs> so, getting back to Blue Sky and looking at what yeah. they could or couldn't be doing different. Forget King of England; we're making you King of Blue Sky for the day. Wow. What are you doing to not repeat the mistakes, but to learn from Twitter and do better going forward?
1: Well, I'd I'd get a good content moderation team up front, and I'd, I'd get them talking to the many, many smart people in academia, in analysis, and so on, who already know what all the traps are. Um, You know, Alex Stamos, who used to be head of this stuff over at Facebook. He kind of knows some stuff about that. He's at Stanford Uni now. He's well out of it, but he moderated content podcast people, if you want to understand all this stuff, and Australian Evelyn Duick is the co-host of that. Um, I'd I'd pull back on getting any more people in until you've actually got in place first the policies about what kind of place you want to build and then you get the developers to build that place or help you with automation to help your content moderators because i think we all know very well particularly australians with our uniquely australian use of language on on these platforms that when we get something flagged as inappropriate that uh an ai based on american speech or a minimum wage worker in kenya or costa rica or the philippines is not Going to get the subtleties, um, and you know that you need people on this. You need to build up your your examples first. They're the they're the big ones, but I think really, yeah. Decide what it is that you're building. It's not a software platform; it's a social platform. And 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 they're then, not decisions
0: for engineers to make. Hell no.
1: <laughs> I, I I would say it even more strongly on this podcast. Except you'll then get a content flag on it um no you don't want engineers doing that now assuming uh joe graber's a, a, a good developer i don't know the main project before this was the Z cash cryptocurrency so that is already telling me a little bit about her worldview but maybe she's a good developer i'll assume she is she got the gig make her chief technology officer but the technology has to be subservient to the social good. And I know there will be some people listening to this and go, Oh, why are you making all this political? And I go, Mate, you are literally building a system to decide what information people can and cannot see in their own communication. There's very little that's more political than that.
2: So make the technology serve the people, not serving the people to the technology. Absolutely
1: in this case is the technology seems to be feeding an AI so that advertisers can have their content tagged and put ads next to it. That is not what society is. I I say again, there's nothing wrong with advertising in and of itself. It's the way in which it's done as part of surveillance capitalism and the assumption that surveillance capitalism is the only way to build things. Oh, and also, given that Americans are only 4% of the world's population, Americans only 4% of the staff of this organisation at the senior
2: level. Cool. Well, right. um, we'll let you know how the job interview goes. <laughs>
1: oh, no, I, Don't call us. We'll gonna, call It's you. not going to happen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'll uh, show myself out.
2: So this week was Google I.O., and uh, there was a lot of news coming out of that one, but In fact, to cover this, I'm gonna have to jump into the Vertical Hold TARDIS. Adam, can you just excuse me for a second? Go for it. So this week has seen Google I.O. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, Google I.O. will have already happened. And we're doing a little bit of time travel here at Vertical Hold again, because I'm actually recording this the week before Google I.O. I'm sat here with uh, Adam Smith from reviews.org. Hello, hello. And Dan Tyson from IftM. Hi, how are you going? And, gentlemen, we've just had the briefing on the... Let's call it the Australian aspects of Google I.O. that we know of, and obviously <laughs> there is this time travel problem that there may well be, shall we say, secret things that Google announces at Google I.O. that we don't know about yet.
3: As they are want
2: to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much their style. Um, yeah, first, and most, first and foremost, obviously, the Pixel 7a, which is coming to Australia and is coming to Australia uh, particularly... Yeah. Quickly, shall we say... Um, Dan, what's your impressions
3: there? Yeah, it's a, basically, a, well, another one in the line of their A-Series phones, so more and longer their affordable line. But they're doing a few things to make a little bit more premium this year, so they're upgrading some of the, the buttons to metal buttons. They're making a little bit more durable and stuff like that. So good stuff, hardware-wise. It just comes down to the software features with all the Pixel stuff, though.
4: And the, the price, admittedly, seems somewhat more premium than with previous A-Series releases, uh, which... Yeah, I guess my question is how how big of a price gulf is there between the 7A and the 7, and uh, then how big of a hardware gulf is there between the two to justify... The uh, the somewhat minimal price golf, I guess.
2: Well, I think that comparison's a really interesting one, and off the top of my head and without having already tested the phone itself, although by the time, again, by the time you read this, I think we all will have, it, um, it would appear to actually favour, to my view, the 7a. It would seem like the 7 doesn't seem like such a great purchase. Am I on the hmm. r- wrong track there?
3: No, not at all. It's just, You're actually getting all of last year's hardware, so you're getting the Tensor G2 processor, you're getting a similar amount of RAM, uh, 8GB on this one, 128 gig or six gig storage if you want to pay a bit more so it's it's getting the sort of specs that you get from the 7 but with a slightly cheaper price tag um, so I mean 64 megapixel camera sensor on it which is slightly better than the one on the pixel 7 so yeah coming down hardware wise on the
2: side of the pixel 7a the other big hardware thing that we will see here although not until I think it's June the 20th, June 20th. Um, is the pixel tablet now Dan we've talked to you on the show before right about pixel hardware or google tablet hardware as i think it was at one point as well uh before but but none of it was coming to australia this one we will see what's new about the pixel tablet
3: so the pixel tablet's a new thing that they're sort of doing as a design that's gonna be helpful in the home so it has a charging dock that it's designed to always sit on where it won't overcharge the battery it's got home hub so it can access all your smart home stuff it's got all your tablet stuff which has now been optimized apparently which we have heard this story from Google before so we're I think we're all being burned once (laughs) twice three possibly more times on on tablets from Google but
2: we'll see how the pixel tablet goes (laughs) And visually, Adam, this thing looks a lot like the, the Nest
4: display. It sure it? does. It sure does. And, and at the same time, uh, Google is saying that it's not meant to be a replacement for the Nest display. Um, I'm I'm interested to see the use case sort of for the Nest display versus this. You know, like um, what what are the functions it can perform that uh, that the Nest can perform that this can't? That would make both of them. Sort of a, a like a, a purchasing option for someone. Like I, I guess I just don't quite understand where this leaves the Google Nest display.
3: So part of it was the they really were focusing it on the Pixel Nest Hub is really something as a fixed display, so it doesn't move. Something good to have in the corner in the kitchen. Whereas the the Pixel tablet is really being marketed as like a, a home device that you can sort of have sitting there. One of the big things is that home hub, so giving you fast access to your smart home devices, which they've said is only coming to Android tablets, specifically starting with the Pixel tablet. It won't be coming to the um, Nest Hub devices, so that sort of seems to where they're making that distinction.
2: I would have said the other big thing, though, is much more evidently, this is an Android tablet. Mm. You can throw your apps onto it in a way that you can't on a Nest, despite the Nest plays a lot simpler, and it's got to be yeah. said, a, a fair bit cheaper too.
3: Oh, definitely. Um, the the, the Nest Hub has always been one of those things where it's, it's, it's just easy access to things, but it has limits whereas the Pixel tablet seems to be breaking those limits and, and extending towards more what Android can do.
2: The other thing that they alluded to that we did not see here and that we will not see in Australia at this time, I will say, we're in Google HQ, I don't want to say too much because I might not leave the front door <laughs> safely, <laughs> uh, was, of course, the, the Pixel Fold, Google's foldable phone.
3: Yeah, I think a bit of disappointment in the room uh, when they they didn't announce it coming to Australia, but a lot of interest in folding phones, just very disappointed at not coming here. <laughs>
4: Yeah, and and considering the uh, (laughs) robust information we've gotten out of leaks, it doesn't feel like there's like a lot left to surprise us about the pixel fold, which makes it kind of strange to me. Surprise! You're not getting it. Exactly. That that (laughs) was really the only big surprise in the room. Um, But uh, yeah, it makes it strange to me that we didn't talk about it a bit more.
3: Yeah, Google's always been a bit funny about their, their their regional marketing for for hardware releases, and despite the fact they're announcing it, and we probably will see it soon, sooner rather than later. Uh, we won't get any information ahead of time, so unfortunately, in our future selves, uh, we'll know more about this. The the uh,
4: the disappointing thing for me is I that means that I'm going to have to wait even longer to conduct my stress test, where I see how much taco meat
2: it will hold versus a Galaxy Fold. <laughs> So, okay, now now I'm intrigued by this uh, obviously useful benchmark. How much taco meat can a Galaxy Fold hold, and does it vary by Galaxy Fold generation?
4: Well, see, that's the thing. is I Because I haven't had anything to benchmark it against, I haven't conducted the test yet. And I also haven't found a Galaxy Fold owner who's willing to allow me to fill their phone with taco meat.
2: Maybe so. the iPhone into Flip. You could just do, you could just do a, a mini-tuck like mini That's. That's. Uh, I'd say that's more like a bow. <laughs>
1: well,
2: thank you so much for your time, gentlemen. Now, Dan, you have done the show before. Adam, you have not. So you know what's coming and you don't. Oh, dear. <laughs> the Vertical Hold Three Questions of Doom. I'll ask Dan first so you get an idea for what it that is okay. so you've got to do. Uh, I'll ask all three questions. You can answer them in any order that you like. Where can people find your work online, Dan? Where can they find you on social media? And given we're sitting in Google HQ, what's your favourite ever Google product? Oh, okay. Hey. Oh, and, and <laughs> that's a hard question for me. Uh, so you
3: can find me writing online at eftm.com. You can find me all over social media, Frog Hollow. That's where the PH. And my favourite Google product, probably the it's a toss up between either the Nexus Five, which is one of the most best designed phones ever, the other one is the Google Clips a very, very forgotten device which took AI photos whenever it decided the photo looked good. (laughs)
2: I'm glad you described it, because I was thinking Google Clips, Google (laughs) Clips, I'm sure I should remember that one, but I just don't, there's so many. And like the early days of AI, it didn't really work. (laughs) (laughs) And it's still your favourite because? It's just weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Adam, and exactly the same question.
4: Yes, so for me, uh, you can find me on uh, reviews.org slash au uh, ever so often also with Dot com dot au. Uh, social media, you will not find me particularly active anywhere as so I generally just spend my time doom scrolling Reddit. Uh, favorite Pixel or Google device? Uh, look, the 7 Pro is my everyday phone and I really, really like it. The one thing that uh, I liked better about the 6 Pro, which was my everyday phone, phone before this is it was uh it was more slippery and i liked to see it sort of edging its way off the arm of the couch and like look that little guy go it just kind of gave me a warm feeling every time it would try and escape
2: i'm getting this feeling you have a slightly fatalistic relationship with smartphones i Adam. yes (laughs) i have a feeling he needs two to race them (laughs) let's make that happen thanks gents
3: thank you thanks
0: So, Alex, now that we're back in the present and you've had a bit of time to play with the Pixel 7a, uh, how does it impress you? Does it live up to your expectations?
2: So this is pretty rare for me because it actually exceeded my expectations. I kind of thought, ah, they're just going for the kind of average spec bump and it's still the lesser of the species. But actually, at its price and for what I've tested it for, it's probably the best mid-range phone, and possibly the best value phone you can buy right now. And I don't say those words lightly. I test a lot of phones, and this has got a lot of competition to beat. So, from the conversation we just had, should the oh, the conversation
0: we just listened to, should the seven A be cheaper, or should the seven be more expensive? Like, where's the, the gap's not right here?
2: Well, I think the seven. The only thing really for the seven is that it's got that slightly bigger screen. If you really, really need that. But I think the 7a is actually a really nice, hand-friendly size. It works really well. The cameras are good. The battery life is really good, better than I've seen on the 7, and that's kind of critical. The processing power is exactly the same because it's exactly the same in it. So I think the only reason to buy the 7 is if I suppose you see it, and I have seen a few places starting to sell it off uh, cheaply. If you see it cheaper than the 7a, otherwise I'd go the 7a, um, and I think for a lot of people, and this has been the case for those flagship phones for a long while, actually, for a lot of people, a flagship phone has more power than you need. And the other reason to pick up a flagship phone really is the cameras. There's still a bit of a dividing line there because there's no actual optical zoom lens on the 7a, for example. Although, again, the Super Res Zoom actually works really, really well in most situations.
0: So I would think from the other handsets I've been looking at lately that maybe the
2: Samsung Galaxy A54 would be the one you'd put up against this. Yeah, well I've I've actually done just that. I mean if the listeners are interested uh, they can actually read my full review at alexreviewstech.com. Subtle plug there. What was that uh, URL again? That was alexreviewstech.com. Thanks for asking, Adam. And uh, And I put it up against the A54 specifically because they're very much in that same kind of price bracket. You could also consider something like Apple's um, iPhone SE third gen. That's the same kind of price point as well. And the thing is, in just about every aspect, this thing does better. So this does better than the A54 for low light shooting, for example. That's really clear and evident. And it's more powerful. The iPhone, the SE, is more powerful again, but I don't know that people need that. And it's got much, much worse battery life where this thing's got really good, very easy all day, maybe even two days if you're only a moderate user kind of battery life. It's a really, really good value proposition. Well, that just about wraps up this week's app of Vertical Hold. Thanks to Silgarian for joining us. Oh. Oh, my pleasure. And now it's time, as it usually is, for the patented royalty-free Vertical Hold Three Questions of <laughs> Doom. I'll ask all three. You can answer them in any order you like, although nearly everyone does it in the same order. Where can people find your work online? Where can they find you on whatever social media you might choose to inhabit, maybe even Blue Sky? And what's the favorite art what nah, I keep getting this question wrong. I just keep phrasing it wrong. It's annoying me. Have you thought of writing it down? And of all Well, <laughs> nah, don't know if you're and of all the articles opinion columns and everything else you've ever written what's your favorite piece
1: well uh stilgarian is my name and just punch that into all the things on the on the googles and the twitters and the mastodons and i am on blue sky but i haven't said anything yet um, uh, google will work out how to spell it it's all there look out for my podcast the 9pm edict in your favorite podcast app as for article, this was, I knew this question was coming up and it's quite hard. I'm, I'm going to throw in, in fact, a set of articles. I mentioned the, the, the car manufacturer ad targeting thing, that story was a story written by Ben Grubb, but that was part of a feature uh, that I did for Crikey back in 2018 called Prying Eyes. It was a bit of an in-depth, about 15, 20 articles about surveillance capitalism. I was the series editor um, and wrote some of the stories, and I'm just really happy with the way that all came together. Uh, If you Google Crikey Prying Eyes, you'll find it right up top I'm pretty sure they're all unlocked now. Um, that was fun.
2: It's always nice when you can produce that kind of that, that really great piece of work. I do know exactly what you mean, hmm. and, and and it still stands always, up. Quite frankly,
1: you know, it's it's still a thing you can read today and go, oh wow, they're doing that
2: because they're still doing it. Yeah,
1: because <laughs> they're still doing it.
2: And <laughs> and as always, you can catch us online at Vertical Hold AU on Twitter. Not yet on Blue Sky, but we are on Instagram, the Vertical Hold Facebook page, and on the web at verticalhold.com.au. And thanks,
0: everyone, for braving the cybers to listen in this week. Don't forget to drop us a line and let us know what you think about what we talked about this week and what we could do better in 2023.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That was, uh, the vertical holds always a fun podcast to do. Uh, this time I did go on a bit of a rant, didn't I? <laughs> Gee, I never do that. Please remember that the 9pm Edict is supported by you, the generous listener. If you feel the urge, please go to the 9 edict.com slash tip and do the needful or just tell your friends. As usual, I've, I've linked to some of the things I spoke about on the podcast website. That's the9pmedict.com. You can, you can find it. Uh, the next episode will be soon. I'm not sure exactly when, but until then, I'm still Gary and wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.